Hello, it's Saturday, August 8th, 2020. I'm Daniel Libet, and this is the Intercollegiate Podcast bonus content for Extra Points paid subscribers. This comes from my most recent discussion with Frank Lamonti, the director of the Breckner Center for the Freedom of Information at the University of Florida. You can listen to the rest of our conversation in episode 20 of the Intercollegiate Podcast, in which I talk with both Frank and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Sarah Gannam about issues involving college sports and the First Amendment. In the segment you're about to hear, Frank and I talk about a law called the Federal Education Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA, which is often cited by public universities when denying records requests from journalists and others. Frank explains the law's history and how it is so easily abused by our institutions of higher learning. And so, without further ado, here's Frank Lamonti. So if you go back in your history, FERPA is enacted by Congress in 1974. And the sponsor's guy, James Buckley, who was a U.S. Senator from New York, which is why a lot of people call it the Buckley Amendment. And the whole thing came about in an almost overnight fashion. It was something that Buckley just sketched out. There weren't hearings, there weren't testimony, there was a record built. So it was really Buckley and one of his colleagues, Claiborne Pell, that just kind of agreed upon this as a floor amendment that they tacked onto an education bill. So there wasn't a whole lot of documentation. But when Buckley has been asked about it after the fact, he has said, What I was most concerned about is that this is 1974, right? And there was kind of a fad, a trend going on around the country for uh, schools, K-12 schools especially, to all start hiring psychologists, right? And they were routinely sending kids to go have a little sit-down appointment with school psychologists. And Buckley was concerned that, well, what are they doing with all these documents? They're, they're keeping a file where they're profiling these kids and potentially diagnosing them as being mental health risks in one way or another. And, and the parents know these files exist. They have a chance to inspect them or not. And that's what Buckley was trying to get at. He, he wanted to make sure that parents would have the ability to look at their own kids' files and make sure that they weren't incomplete or deceptive. And at the same time, make sure that those files weren't being handed off to law enforcement other people who might use them harmfully against the kids without the parents knowing about it. So that's what he was thinking about. He was definitely not thinking about people filing FOIA requests with college athletic departments. That was definitely not part of, in fact, higher ed was almost an afterthought of this. It was really intended to be about K-12 and the rights of parents. But it's a very sloppily drafted law, and it's prone to misinterpretation by the courts. And over the years, lawyers have been able sometimes to convince judges that, well, anything and everything qualifies as what's called a FERPA-protected education record. Those are the magic words. And once you convince a judge that something is an education record, then that means it's no longer subject to the state open government law, and we can't have it. And and even though you and I and anybody with a nickel's worth of walking around sense knows what an education record means, right? Your transcripts and your grades and your test scores. Over the years, uh, uh, universities have taken the position that anything and everything can be an education record. Uh, I actually almost had to sue a school district in Northern California one time because they were claiming that the scores of a high school swimming meet were a FERPA protected secret. And even the mothers of the competitors could not see them. Um, So that's the kind of ridiculousness that has been emboldened by this law. I regularly, when I want to send a snide response back to a public records custodian who's denying me on account of FERPA, I always try to invoke the analogy that this is equivalent to you trying to claim a box score of an athletic event being a a, uh, educational record that's that's subject to a privacy 
exemption. So apparently that actually has also happened in your, in your experience. Uh, there, there was a school in upstate New York and Buffalo that took the position that a videotape of a high school football game was a FERPA education record. So that even though you or I or anybody else with a video camera would have been welcome to buy a ticket and sit in the stands and shoot a video of it and post it on YouTube and anything they want with that, that once it got put away in a school records repository, that magically transformed it into a confidential matter. And this is, you know, it, it, what, what has happened, unfortunately, is that over the years, courts have issued some really short-sighted rulings buying into this logic so that on occasion, you'll get a state court ruling that says, yeah, you know, if the college classifies this as a FERP education record, that's good enough for us, including, I think the worst of the worst one actually came at Ohio State a few years ago, and it was about athletics. It was during the Jim Tressel era when he was the football coach, and they had a scandal involving, you may remember this kind of memorable thing, that the athletes were uh, uh, getting uh, free tattoos, and they were trading their football jerseys for tattoos, and uh, that was a, a scandal that, you know, NCAA doesn't allow you to uh, use your, uh, your merchandise uh, for profit, right? And uh, uh, there was real questions about how much Trestle as the head football coach knew about this and the uh, local newspaper wanted his emails to find out uh, what did he know and when did he know it. And uh, the, the university took a position that every piece of correspondence that left that athletic department was a FERPA education record, including emails that were going back and forth between the football coach and boosters, right? That all of this contained material that was a, a confidential part of students' educational records, we can't see it, which to my, my response was, what was the football coach doing sharing the contents of people's confidential educational records with boosters, right? I mean, if, if this is really a confidential matter, then you ought not be putting it into an email that you're sending to outside third parties. But the Ohio Supreme Court actually bought this. They actually managed to convince the Ohio Supreme Court that, yep, everything that the football coach touches is a FERP education record and you can't have any of it. Is, is an education record defined clearly in statute or has it just been defined through case law? over the years? It's not at all well-defined. It's a circular definition. It's basically an education record is anything that directly pertains to an individual student. Now, I will say the U.S. Supreme Court has actually taken a very conservative approach on what that is. The court had a case in 2002 called the Owasso case, where they said, well, even a, uh, this, this had, was a fight over uh, quiz papers that were completed by students in a K-12 class, uh, that the school had no obligation to keep these quiz papers a secret from the other students in the class. And uh, those were not covered by FERPA, even though they had grades on them, and even though it would enable other kids to know what grade you were getting in math, that that wasn't a, because in the view of the Supreme Court, FERPA was a narrow statute that was only about those things that go on, what you were always threatened was your permanent record. Right. The things that were maintained in a central repository in the dean's office to the principal's office or the superintendent's office that were in a file with your name on it. The kind of thing that if your parent showed up to school and said, I am here to see my son's education record, they would hand you. Right. And so we all know that they're not going to hand you a stack of emails. They're not going to hand you a stack of video recordings. Right. They're going to hand you the transcript. And so uh, schools know very well what an education record is when a parent shows up and exercises their purple right to see it. Uh, but they call two different strike zones. So they call one strike zone for parental access, which is a very narrow strike zone, and one different strike zone for journalist public record access, which is an all encompassing strike zone. What could you imagine what the perfect lawsuit to at least test the definition of FERPA would be if it hasn't already been litigated? And it sounds like 
the perfect lawsuit hasn't been litigated. I mean, what would what would clarify this? Because for the most part, when unless you're making a public records request of one of the military academies, whenever you're making a public records request of a higher ed institution, you're doing it appealing to the authorities of a state law. But FERPA itself is a federal statute. Now, I, my understanding is a lot of state laws refer directly to FERPA as their guide when it comes to uh, the privacy of, of certain education records. But is that in and of itself the obstacle that if there was a legal avenue to setting precedent and defining FERPA for everyone and for all states, um, the fact that we're talking about just a, a discrete number of, of you know, 50 different uh, public records laws here makes that makes that next to impossible to to find a way in there. That, that is exactly the conundrum is that because when you sue for access to public records, you're suing under your state's law, right? So you're suing under Iowa state law or Ohio state law. And for that reason, the suit has to go up through the state courts of your state, meaning that at best, what you will get is a determination from the Iowa Supreme Court as to what this federal law means, which is only good in Iowa. And so you've got this patchwork of rulings all around the country where different state courts have different ideas about the breadth of the statute. And it is almost impossible to navigate a case into federal court. So yeah, the answer is, I don't know that that exists. Um, um, the, the Owasso case in 2002 was able to get to federal court because at the time, it was not clearly understood that a family did not have a what's called a cause of action, right? A, a, a federally guaranteed right to file a lawsuit about the invasion of their child's privacy. Subsequently, the Supreme Court, in fact, said, yes, there is no such thing. You cannot bring a lawsuit in state court to assert that you've been injured by a violation of FERPA. So nothing will ever get to the federal courts through that route anymore. The Supreme Court has slammed that door. Uh, so I really think that, unfortunately, the litigation route to fixing this terribly broken, dysfunctional statute is almost foreclosed. And it's going to have to be a matter of the concerned citizens getting in front of the right members of Congress and saying, look, this is just outrageous. We can't be concealing essential information about health and safety hazards in schools and colleges behind this law that was supposed to be about protecting kids. And Frank, you know, I, I, I worked on this and we've even talked about maybe uh, collaborating on a research project that looks on this. But we in the last fall published all of these different athlete exit interviews from various different schools from the previous year which was unintended, um, but I thought of a fairly effective way at looking at how schools taking the exact same request completely interpret uh, FERPA in various different ways and sometimes in convenient ways for them. Um, it, 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 it does seem like there, there's, there needs to be some sort of movement um, perhaps at the level of Congress to rewrite or, or add a few lines to, uh, to the act uh, to clarify this. Is there any chance, has that ever come close to galvanizing the interest of more than your stray congressperson? So far, the only dialogue that has been happening in recent years on Capitol Hill about FERPA has been how to make it more restrictive, that there is a very mobilized 
privacy lobby that would like to see FERPA tightened even further to make sure that EdTech companies, the Googles of the world, can't somehow exploit and monetize the data that they gather from kids who are using educational apps. So right now, all of the dialogue, if someone on Capitol Hill mentions FERPA, it's how much stricter can we make it? How much more information can we put off limits to the public? Not how can we liberalize it and open up access? But I will say you cannot be a First Amendment lawyer and not be an optimist. And so I am, I am cautiously optimistic. I was just talking to a reporter about this this morning that I do think that we're at an inflection point in our history right now because of the Black Lives Matter police reform movement and because of COVID-19, that members of the public are actually starting to get mad when they get the, we won't answer your question answer, when they get the, we don't have any data answer. I mean, they're really mad when they can't find out how many COVID cases are in the nursing homes in their state. They're really mad when they can't find out how many police brutality claims are happening in their state. And they want something done about it. So I think, you know, and, and FERPA, by the way, is coming into play in the COVID discussion because colleges and universities, in particular athletic programs, have been concealing even their data, claiming that, well, we can't tell you whether we have five cases or 15 cases of COVID because just giving you that number would somehow enable Sherlock Holmes to reverse engineer it so that he could figure out the names of the 15 kids, which of course is ridiculous. No one can do that. But because the law is so malleable and judges have been so gullible, uh, it's entirely possible that they might sell that position to a judge. Um, and so the law's just got to be rewritten and tightened in such a way that it can't be abused like that. It's got to be clarified that statistics and trends, like the kind of things that we were asking about in concussions, are, are the public's business and they're not to be hidden behind privacy. And that was Frank Lamonti. You can hear the rest of our conversation with Sarah Gannam on this week's episode of the Intercollegiate Podcast, which is available via Apple iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and other major podcasting apps. You can also listen to shows off our website by going to theintercollegiate.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Daniel Libet. <laughs>